0: Please stand as you are able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and the sister and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Callie, thank you. And thanks to Miles for reading our lesson uh, this morning. And all of those who were a part of the video, we're so proud of you and so grateful for you and praying for your families in the days ahead. Adam, thank you for your prayer. And um, Mason, thank you so much to you and the praise team for leading us. We have felt God's presence with us in this place. If you have been with us over the last month, you know that in this Easter season prior to Pentecost that we're continuing this series that we call Kindred Hearts with this reading that Callie and Miles have shared with us from Mark, chapter 3. Now, I want to remind you, first of all, of the thesis or the premise of this series that I think is very important to note from the beginning. And it's simply this. As the body of Christ, the source of our unity, or what binds us together in the family, is not our church structure. It is not our building. It is not denominational polity. And it certainly isn't institutional bureaucracy. But what yokes us together as the family of God is a common confession in Jesus and a common mission for Jesus. That's what makes kindred hearts. Now, before we dive into the text this morning, I want to give you a little context from Mark chapter 3. By Mark chapter 3, the ministry of Jesus has now taken off. It's at full tilt. He's teaching, he's serving, he's healing, he's cleansing, he's preaching. And in chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus picks his team, his lead team. He chooses the 12. And the response to the ministry of the gospel at this point is just off the charts. In fact, we're told in chapter 3, verse 20 that Jesus is now in such demand that he doesn't even have time to eat. And when you read that statement, at least for me, it takes me over to John chapter four. You remember that story? The story of the woman at the well, where Jesus reached out to this troubled woman at the well of Jacob in Sychar, some of us have been there in Samaria, while the disciples went into town for lunch. And when the 12 returned, when they came back, they brought Jesus some takeout, obviously from Chick-fil-A, probably. But they said to him, Rabbi, you need to eat something. And Jesus said something pretty strange. He said to his friends, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand. And then Jesus explained, hey, my food is to do the will of God of him who sent me that's jesus's bread and butter obedience to the mission that's what sustains him and i dare say for disciples who are serious about jesus what nurtures you is nurturing others whether it's sharing your witness or picking up litter in the name of jesus what sustains us what nurtures us is nurturing others that's that's our food And so at this point, chapter 3, the gospel is just booming in Galilee. And chapter 3 says that Jesus had now come home. He's been on the road in Galilee. He's now come home. What home? Nazareth? No. That's where he was raised. But now he comes home to Capernaum. I've been to Capernaum before. Capernaum is about 40 miles and 40 years from Nazareth. And Jesus has relocated there. He's ministering there, and he's now bunking with Simon Peter, his friend. What you may not know is in the first century, for a Jewish firstborn son to leave his native home would have been radical, especially for the firstborn son. But this is exactly what Jesus had done. Why? Because he was responding to a deeper call in his life that led him to Capernaum and inevitably to Jerusalem. And here's the thing that was happening. This happens sometimes. As Jesus' popularity grew, so did his critics. Somebody told me the other day, people will forgive you for almost anything except success. And how true it is. His own tribe, his own people, his own race were knocking Jesus. I want to give you a little commercial at this point. Starting June 27th, during the summer, we're going to do a summer series called Critiquing Jesus. And we're going to look at some of the criticisms of Jesus in his earthly ministry. You remember what some of his own people said about him? They said, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He hangs with the wrong crowd. He doesn't fast like John, they said. He doesn't keep the Sabbath like we do, they said. He's got an unclean spirit, they said. He's got Beelzebub. He's got the devil in him. Along with his popularity, the critics came. I remember something Aristotle once said about criticism. Listen to this. Criticism is something we can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. Emmett Fox said it like this Criticism is an indirect form of self boasting. And I think he's right. I read a quote the other day from a philosopher who said The final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure criticism without resentment. Whew, I'm not great yet. Are you? And so, as Jesus' ministry grew, as his popularity grew, so did the critics. The rumor mill back in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown said that this rabbi is beside himself. That's a euphemism for saying he's gone bonkers. He's gotten carried away. He's off his rocker. And when his kinfolk caught wind of the rumor, they made a beeline (laughs) to Capernaum, in order, listen to what the gospel, in order to restrain him. What does that mean? To take custody of Jesus, to take charge of him against his will if necessary, because the family of Jesus was concerned about his welfare, but they were also concerned about their own reputation, their name. And this is where our text begins. Verse 31, then his mother and his brothers came to Capernaum, that is, and standing outside, they sent to Jesus and called him. Now notice I've italicized the word outside. You see that? The word outside is not just a spatial remark. It's a theological comment. Jesus' family was on the outside looking in. In other words, they were not yet sympathetic to Jesus' calling. They don't get Jesus. I think they're blinded by familiarity. It happens. Later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, many, if not all of his family, according to the book of Acts, would become charter members of the church. But early on, his own immediate family, outsiders. It's been said familiarity breeds contempt And that can be true. They were blinded by their own familiarity with Jesus. Outsiders. Meanwhile, the crowd on the inside alerts Jesus to their presence outside. Master, teacher, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And here's where it gets really peculiar. Jesus says something really odd. He says... Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And when I read that, I have to tell you, especially on Mother's Day, I'm thinking, this is not a real good text for today. Because it sounds like that Jesus is dissing his own family. Now, if I'd have been there, First Church, Capernaum, First Methodist, Capernaum, I would have gotten out my Torah and said, Jesus, you need to know Exodus 20, verse 12. The fifth commandment says, honor your mother and your father that the days of your life may be long in the land that I am gifting you. I would have told Jesus that. It sounds offensive. And by the way, let me say something to the graduating seniors. When you get your diploma in the next couple of weeks, the very first thing you need to do after the picture is to hug your mother. In fact, three-quarters of that diploma probably belongs to her, right? Honor your mother. You need to hug your mom. I was reading a poem the other day that was a gift to me from Jim Hughes. Some of you have met Jim Hughes, right, who is our newest associate, part-time retired associate. This is a Mother's Day poem. It's a free verse poem that was written by Billy Collins, who in 2001 through three, was the poet laureate for the United States. Uh, he wrote a poem for his mother, get this, called The Lanyard. Uh, you know what a lanyard is. A, a lanyard is, is a, a, a cord or a strap that is worn around your neck to hold a name badge or a tag. This is Billy Collins' poem for his mother called The Lanyard. Listen to this. The other day, I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of my room bouncing from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, and I found myself in the L section of the dictionary where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one more suddenly into the past, a past where I sat at a workbench, at a camp by a deep, at Arondack Lake, learning how to braid thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I'd never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one if that's what you do with them. But that did not keep me from crossing every strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted teaspoons of medicine to my lips, set cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim. And I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education. "'And here is your lanyard,' I replied, "'which I made with a little help from a counselor. "'Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, "'strong legs, bones, and teeth, "'and two clear eyes to read the world,' she whispered. "'And here,' I said, "'is the lanyard I made at camp. "'And here,' I wish to say to her now, "'is a smaller gift,' Not the archaic truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-toned lanyard from my hands, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. The lanyard. It sounds a little offensive at first, what Jesus is saying. If you know anything about discipleship in the Judeo-Christian tradition, you know that family ties are absolutely critical to our faith. And so Jesus' response to the kinfolk seems a little bit sacrilegious. In fact, there's a similar scene in John 2 at a wedding party in Cana of Galilee Jesus and his brothers and sisters, Mary too, were invited guests. And during the reception, something really embarrassing happened. The wine supply began to dwindle. And Mary, of course, a mother, (laughs) was the first to observe it. And she called it to Jesus' attention, as if to say, fix it, son. And Jesus looked at her, looked at his mother and said, woman, he called her woman, what have you to do with me? What is he doing? Well, he's not disrespecting his mother. He's differentiating himself from his mother. There are two things that every mother and dad need to do for their children. One is to give roots, and the other is to give wings. And both of them are difficult to do. What's happening in that text in Cana is that Jesus is not, first of all, Mary's boy. He's his father's son. And obedience to God assumes priority, get this, even over genetics. Obedience to God assumes priority even over biology. Although, please hear me. This doesn't give us license to neglect our family. Paul gives good food, good counsel to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 when he says anybody who does not provide for their relatives and especially for members of their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. By the way, Exodus 20 verse 12, that fifth commandment to honor mother and father That was not primarily written to little kiddos regarding their parents. That was written to adult children regarding their aging loved ones. Honor your mother and father. If you live long enough, seniors in high school, if you live long enough, the roles will one day swap, and the parents will become more childlike, and the child will become more parental. My mother turned 84 on March the 5th, and she's become a very disobedient mother. (laughs) She doesn't always tell me when she's out. She worries me to death like a recycled teenager. And if you live long enough, the roles will swap. And that's what it means to honor the very ones who honored you when you were a child. I don't think that Jesus is being disrespectful because I know at the end of his life, I know at the end of his life on the cross, he actually fulfilled the fifth commandment because as he was dying on the cross, the scripture in John says that he looked down and he saw his mother and his best friend at the foot of the cross. And he said, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And you know what he was doing? He was placing his aging mother into the care of his closest friend. It was his lanyard to Mary. Honor. In the last line of this text, Jesus is actually doing something fairly radical for the day. You know what he's doing? He's expanding the concept of family. With the kinfolk outside calling to him, he looks around the room at his followers, at his friends, and he says, Here is my mother. Here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, your family. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. Turns out obedience is thicker than blood. Whoever is obedient to God, kindred hearts, we're kinfolk. We're in the same family. Last Sunday, we were here at 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the afternoon to expand our family. We baptized and confirmed 78 of our students Sixth graders, that's a picture of one of our small groups. There were many. And as the youth said on the video today, so the confirmand said, one of the greatest things about confirmation is the small groups where you spend time with one another and talk about things that deeply matter. So these 12-year-olds stood before us, 78 of them last Sunday afternoon, repented of their sin and publicly made their profession of faith in Jesus They pledged themselves to God for life to live as a disciple of Christ. I have to tell you, it was a high and holy day. Ironically, on that same day, May the 2nd, our eldest member died. Her name is Ruth Hesse. She turned 104 two days before she died. On the same day that we confirmed 78 youth, our eldest member went to heaven. I saw her on Thursday before her death. She was no longer able to open her eyes, but she knew I was there, and we had a cogent conversation together. And I said, Miss Ruth, this Sunday we're about to expand our family at church, and we're going to confirm our young people. Do you have a word for them? And she said, I do. I want you to tell them that they're my children too. That I love them, I'm praying for them, and welcome to the family. I'll never forget it. It struck me last Sunday afternoon as somewhat fitting that on the day that Ruth Hesse received her eternal welcome, we passed on the torch to the next generation. The family is still expanding last word three weeks ago our daughter Haley changed our world at the breakfast table on the Gulf Coast she and her husband Zach that we are learning to love (laughs) announced that our family was expanding she's going to have a baby She said to her mother, this will be your last Mother's Day, not to be a grandmother. And we were shocked. She was shocked by the fact that I said, I'm much too young to be a grandfather, but it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, life got better. She called me this week because she's already planning the baptism. And she called me on Tuesday and said, Dad, would you do the honors And I said, well, I'll have to check my calendar. Um, She's already planning for the child in the womb to be received into the fold because she wants him or her to know from earliest days that they're a part of a family that's bound together by unconditional love, a family where through baptism water is thicker than blood. So, whatever age, whatever stage you're in, whatever transition you're facing, and seniors, this will be probably as big a transition for your parents as it is for you, but whatever age or stage you're in, you can know that home is not really a place it's a people it's a family that is held together by a common confession and a common mission that creates kindred hearts so that when we see each other hey brother (laughs) hey, sister, hi, mom, hi, grandmom, because in this family of love, nothing can separate us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.